Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Well, good morning to you all. It is uh, it's so good to be together again. And it's uh, odd that the time is winding down. I actually... Uh, I look forward to summers for things that I get to do with my kids, but the truth of it is I really don't like summers here uh, because campus is just dead without y'all and the energy that you bring. And uh, so just know that as much as you might miss each other, we miss having you around too. So, But it's the last uh, chapel of the year. You know, RBC has always been a place that is more interested in who you are becoming than what you end up doing. We're more interested in who you are becoming than what you end up doing. Although what you do matters. Most of you have grown significantly over the last year. Some of you are more independent and self, you know, that made me think about just hearing that those churches where like the organ is playing in the background while the Whoever's preaching is preaching. So I think we were verging on that. We're close. I don't know where that... Anyway, we're off track. Uh, Some of you are more independent and self-reliant than you were a year ago. I hope you've developed friendships that stimulate you and have stimulated your heart and your thinking while you've been here. But more than those, my hope is that you've grown to know God more fully this year. And that you've deepened some of the convictions that you carry about who God is and what he's doing in the world. I appreciated on Monday Ruben's talk about, well, his how talk with some advice about successfully reincorporating your life back into the community and the churches that you've come from. And this morning, I'd like to walk down that road just a little bit farther and allow a short portion of scripture from 2 Timothy to instruct us about how we will be most effective in the locations that God has us placed in this summer. And not just this summer, but going on from here. How do we think about being effective in the places that God's taking us as we leave RBC? And this is an important question. Because when I left RBC, the year that I was here, I remember going home and I remember, uh, you know, while we were here, while I was here, a big theme that particular year was on the need for revival. And uh, my buddies and I, we studied the church and we prayed for the church and we read books about the church. And I was going home uh, to transform the church that I came from. And I don't think that was a very good idea. And I went home with a lot of uh, expectation about what God was going to do through me to bring about tremendous revival in our home church that I thought was dead as dead could be. Never mind the fact that they had shown me Jesus and then showed me Jesus again as they waited patiently for me to actually learn to love them. 
Here's the question for us. How do I become effective, an effective servant in the kingdom of God? Right? So you're going home. You, have ch- you will have challenges. You already, some of you already know that when you go home, because you had this Christmas and you had some other breaks where you realize that while you were here, you were out of some of the routines that you were used to at home and that actually helped you. And so you're going home and you're nervous about falling into routines that may take you back into things that you don't want, some things that you hate. But maybe there are routines too that take you back into some things that are really wonderful. But you've changed and for the better, I hope. But you're going back, and, you, and I hope you're thinking about, okay, what do I do, and how do I set things up so that I'm actually useful and helpful in the kingdom of God when I go home? This morning, I want to look at some instructions that the Apostle Paul gave a young man, Timothy, to help him answer that question of how he's useful and helpful to the church that he was responsible to. So Timothy was leading a church. He was fairly young. We don't know exactly how young he was. And I know most of you won't be leading a church when you go home, but these verses that we will read will still be helpful to you. Paul's painting a picture to Timothy of what it looks like to effectively influence other people. And all of you will have that opportunity when you go home. And uh, so I want to take a look at this passage as we think about how Jesus is wanting to use each of us. So if, if you have your phone or Bible, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't, you can just listen to the word being read this morning. Would you stand with me as we read from verse 20 to 26? So it's not a particularly long section of scripture, and we're certainly not going to cover the whole book of 2 Timothy and all the instructions Paul gives Timothy. But here's a short section that I think will be helpful to us this morning. Verse 20 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Now in a large house, Timothy, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, He will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Verse 22, so flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You may be seated. Right, so as I mentioned earlier, we're jumping right into the middle of Paul's instructions on effectiveness, but let's take a look at what Paul tells us specifically. So verse 20 uh, begins by reminding us that everyone, not everyone, is equally effective in the kingdom of God. Not everybody is equally effective in the kingdom of God. Does that sound controversial? 
are all equally loved by God, sure, are all in God's family saved from their sins, yes, but will we all have the same outcomes in terms of our effectiveness in the kingdom of God? I don't think so. In Paul's analogy here, some in the household of God are gold are, are, are compared to gold and silver utensils, and some are compared to clay and wood utensils. In other words, uh, some of us really stink sometimes. We're the trash cans instead of the beautiful dinner plates. The bar is pretty low for clay and wood, for trash cans, for people who simply are taking up space, waiting for the rapture, uncommitted to the ethics of the kingdom of God, and who aren't committed to becoming the kinds of people who are especially useful in the kingdom of God. Right, so you can go home next week and you can begin sleepwalking through your summer. You uh, can disengage from your family and from the friends that you have. You can show up late to your church gatherings and allow cynicism to justify uh, you hanging out on the fringes of your group. You can do all that. And you can still be saved and be clay and wood and not very useful in the kingdom of God. Another way uh, to become clay and wood instead of gold is to become the ambitious critic instead of the cynic. Now that you've learned everything that there is to know and you're two years at Rosedale, it's time to tell your church a thing or two. And then when they all realize that uh, how brilliant you are and how they are living in the presence of a true hometown hero who is uh, on your way to superstardom, in the kingdom of God, they will grovel at your feet, having had the opportunity to know you and drink from your golden goblet and all. Ironically, uh, the ambitious critic is just as useless as the cynical slouch. And when my heart isn't right, I can become that guy, which renders me ineffective for service in the kingdom of God. So we all aren't equally effective. How do we become more effective is really the question. More effective tools in God's hands this summer and beyond. Well, let's look at the passage and the instructions that Paul gives us. The first instruction is interesting in verse 21. So if anyone purifies himself, actually, yeah, let's start there. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart and useful to the master. So, you know, there's this purification that takes part, that God, that God takes part in, that he does within us when we come to Christ as we're living in Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us, that he's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's something that the Spirit of God is naturally doing in you because you're in Christ. His Spirit is at work and is a part of you. There's another part of our purification that is still dependent on God, but which God waits for our participation in that cleansing. 
Like we join with God in that, which is what Paul's referring to here, which is why he writes here and other places throughout the New Testament that we are to, in fact, cleanse ourselves. Well, if that's impossible, then why would he say such a thing? Or to put on righteousness and to take off unrighteousness as he refers to elsewhere. Is that possible? Yes. As we walk with God and his spirit lives in us, our effort is required and it's instructed. We read that from Paul. But he says to, to put off what's dishonorable. Now, what is that? And he tells us in, in the next several verses, and we'll look at that in a moment. But I want us to catch this. If you're going to be useful this summer and effectively serve the king, then we must be sensitive to our consciences collectively and act and live in ways that put those impurities to death. R.C. Ryle, in his book called Holiness, commented this way. He said, I have had a deep conviction for many years that practical holiness and entire self-consecration to God are not sufficiently attended to by modern Christians in this country. He's talking about the United States. Politics or controversy or party spirit or worldliness have eaten out the heart of lively piety in too many of us. The subject of personal godliness has fallen sadly to the background. Now that sounds like it applies today, but he wrote that in 1879. Right, so this is kind of an ongoing problem. That personal holiness is often in short supply. And many believers have come to embrace the idea that what is really needed in our lives is the development of our gifts and a feeling of affection for Jesus. And if you have those two things, then you can make a difference in the world. If you have developed your gifts... And if you have an appropriate level of affection for Jesus, then you'll make a big difference in the world. Or let's put it another way. If you're really gifted and you have warm fuzzies, that alone determines how far you will go and how effective you become. You can probably tell by my tone <clears throat> what I think about this. It's nonsense. And worse, it's corruptive. Develop your gifts, yes. Feel good feelings about Jesus, absolutely, and that's wonderful. Get swept away in music as you worship the Lord. Write love notes to God. All of that is fine and good, in fact. But those aren't the primary or most important qualifications for becoming especially useful or helping influence people of God. This is why I read recently about a pastor. You know, th this attitude that those two things are the things you need is why I read recently about a pastor who had multiple affairs with women in his church. And even after it was known, he was allowed to keep right on pastoring. Why? Because he's really gifted. And he helps people feel close to God. But the holiness in his life is absent and it's corroding the church and the individuals in that church. 
which is why Paul says to Timothy, get rid of the dishonorable stuff in your life if you want to become a more helpful tool in God's hands among God's people. It is not enough to feel warm thoughts toward Jesus and to be really gifted. Get rid of the dishonorable stuff in your life if you want to be a really helpful tool in God's hands among God's people. So what are the dishonorable things that we must remove? Well, Paul gives just a couple. And so we're just going to spend time with those two. Uh, Actually, I should say the list is broken up into two types of lists. One of the lists is the dishonorable things that we remove, and the other is of the honorable things that we add. So let's look at the stuff that has to go. There's two of those is what I mean to say. First of all, youthful passions, or another translation say youthful lusts, right? So here, flee from youthful passions. Flee from youthful passions. Well, what's Paul referring to? Well, remember, Timothy is fairly young in the lusts that often entrap young people and uh, take us off course, have to do with sexual temptations and the temptation for fame and notoriety. If there is an area of life that undercuts young Christian men and women and their ability to minister effectively, it's usually these two sins. Many men and women have been rendered ineffective by their addiction to pornography or a sexual relationship that they carry on outside of marriage. These things are common. In fact, uh, when I was pastoring, there were several conversations that I had with engaged couples, with them wondering, you know, why exactly is premarital sex or sex outside of marriage, why is that a problem? There was no sort of understanding of sexuality in the you know, as it relates to how God has designed that to work. And so the questions were there. And of course, then uh, behavior in line with those questions occurred. These are common. These sort of quests for uh, using sexuality outside of our marriages are common, but they're not holy and they're dishonorable, and they stop the effectiveness of God's use in our life or the use of of our lives in God's hands. Additionally, the quest for fame is another pernicious lust that will capsize hope of helping others. When that lust drives our work, people become tools for us and for our glory. You know, uh, we try to make videos for our fame and our glory rather than God's fame and God's glory. We curate particular Instagram uh, identities or TikTok gigs with the hopes of going viral to gain attention or to make money. And I'm encouraging you all to be really careful with this. This isn't to say that making podcasts or TikToks or YouTube stuff isn't helpful. It can be exceedingly helpful. But sometimes we aren't aware of the sinfulness of pursuing fame. How we make our glory an idol that replaces the pursuit of God's glory. And also, along with that, 
beware that it's easy to lie to yourself about our true motives. This was the reason that I abandoned the theater in college. Uh, I went to college, as some of you know, on a theater scholarship, and uh, I loved I loved the theater like crazy. Uh, it was my life in high school, and my life uh, when I got to college after I left Rosedale and transferred to the other school that I ended up graduating from. I went there on a theater scholarship and with a full intent of getting a theater degree. And I lived in the theater. You know, anytime I wasn't in class, I was in the theater till about 10 o'clock at night each night, either building sets or doing rehearsal. That's where I lived my life. And I was successful at it. And what I noticed, though, is that the longer that went on, the more my heart strayed from Jesus. And the, there was a conviction about the fact that my identity had slowly morphed into an identity that was built around what I accomplished in the theater. And I knew that for the sake of my own soul, I had to leave that environment. And so I did. I walked away. Now, it was probably not the theater for most of you, but it could be something else related to the sort of praise we get from other people and notoriety that our gifts afford us. The second thing that Paul says has to go for us to be effective, notice verse 23 and 24. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. We must abandon Twitter is what Paul's saying. Just kidding, maybe though. The last clear apology that I've had to offer, at least publicly, for being mean-spirited mean in a discussion was in a discussion that happened on Twitter for me. If you carry an adversarial spirit about you as you go home this summer, and you're vigilant about ferreting out all the errors that you see around you in order that they be corrected appropriately, you might be quarrelsome and probably would do well to repent and relax. Waiting on God to do his work, then entering into another battle, which he may not have called you to fight. In this section of the passage, the things we must remove are sinful lusts and the tendency to quarrel. What do we add to our lives to become useful? Well, he says, add or pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I think you could sum it all up by saying, do everything in your power to be in good relationship with God and with the people around you. Now notice verse 24. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but instead must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing opponents with gentleness. Be gentle and patient, able to explain your positions, which is what I hope Rosedale has better equipped you to do, even to your opponents, but in gentle ways. And this often, let me warn you, feels like losing. This way of living often feels like caving because you don't return insults. You choose to remain steady. And instead of 
arm wrestling your opponents away from danger, you trust God's hand to lead them in a different direction. This is yet another area in which God has had to renew my own mind, and I've had to put off dishonorable behaviors and attitudes. As a dad, I'm learning to be more patient and less quick-tempered. And I have harmed my children with my unwillingness to wait for their development by giving them time to learn skills and abilities. I have often pushed them and been frustrated with their lack. And I'm on the move and they need to keep up. And I will tell you, this renders me ineffective as a good father. But it happens here too. I have strong convictions about how to understand God and on particular issues that I think have significant consequence for us as a church. But lo and behold, not all of you buy what I'm selling or what we offer here at Rosedale. <laughs> so does that mean that my best role is to badger you and intellectually arm wrestle you into submission? Is that the thing that I should be doing with you all? No, I don't think that's, that fits the character of, of Paul's instructions here. It's not the spirit of God's kingdom workers. It's not the spirit of those who are golden tools in God's hands, the tools of highest usefulness. Those tools are gentle and patient. So uh, let me just say this. When you go home, and your pastor makes a ridiculous comment from the pulpit, which he will, or your crazy uncle, who is maybe extremely left-winged or right-winged, makes some kind of comment that makes your blood curl, curdle, I should say, you know, and you're sitting around the fire on Memorial Day at some cookout, what does the effective kingdom person do? Well, remember, in the kingdom, effectiveness is more about who you are than what you do. In the kingdom, we play the long game. It's more about who you are than what we do. Are you the sort of person who's holy and working to rid your life of lusts and quarrelsomeness? Are you the sort of person who's practicing gentleness and patience and can calmly and with love enter into those difficult conversations. Is that you? These are the sorts of qualities that will help you be useful and effective when you go home. And to help ease your mind, these qualities take generally take time, maybe even a lifetime to master. By God's grace, for instance, there are particular sexual sins that I struggled with as an 18-year-old that are not part of my life now. By God's grace, I'm slightly more patient today than I was even three years ago. And I trust I'm becoming more gentle, though I know I have not arrived there yet. On occasion, I've quarreled, and the scriptures are correct, that it has not produced good fruit. I want to see you all succeed. I want to see you be able to go home, plug in, love the people around you, 
and not get sucked into cynicism or overconfidence. And I want to encourage you this morning, as you think about going home, practice loving the people right around you. Not the people you wish were around you, but the people that are, in fact, around you. Serve them. And serve them by putting on holiness. And I suspect this summer, the people around you will be very glad for your presence and may, in fact, be moved closer to Jesus if you spend time putting on the things of God. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the entirety of this year. Thank you for what your spirit is at work in doing in all of our lives. Lord, again, we surrender to your word, your voice, your instructions to carry with us a spirit of gentleness and patience and grace and to put off the things that trap and undermine our usefulness. God, help us with that. And I pray a blessing on this group of students as they leave to go to all a whole variety of places, camps and home and maybe, I don't know where all, God, but I just pray that your spirit would go with them and that they carry with them a love for the people that are right around them, a spirit of gentleness and patience that carries deep conviction, but also does not carry the need to be right all the time, the inability to listen, none of those things, Lord, but I pray for a spirit of humility, kindness, gentleness that would wash over this group and be evident with them wherever they go. For your name's sake, Lord, we ask these things and for our joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.